Well, you know, I know that the Bible generally says that pride is sin, but I was never so proud of the people of this church as I was Monday night at McDonald's. That was off the chart. If, if you were here last week or have since maybe listened to the podcast from last week, uh, uh, I recently, just last week, received an invitation from the new owners of McDonald's to go up there and to, prayer, to pray a prayer of blessing on their grand reopening, which is like a, an invitation I've never received. Any, it just seemed crazy to me, but it's the McDonald's at George's Villain Holt, which is my McDonald's. It's, it's, I, be, I met people there to talk, to pray. I, I prayed with people in that lobby. I've, uh, I, I don't know how many hundreds of cups of coffee I've bought from that McDonald's. I have, I'm sure, purchased a sinful number of bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits from that place, <laughs> including this morning. Can I get a witness, anybody? That's my, that's my McDonald's. And so when I got this invitation, hi, this lady says, hi, my name's you know, Lisa Smith, and we're, we're believers, and uh, we're, we've just bought this restaurant, and we're going to reopen it, because they remodeled it. Would you come up and pray a prayer of blessing? I said, yeah. <laughs> and so I told you about it last week, and, and uh, uh, so I was supposed to be there at 5.30, right? And so we got there at 5.30, and uh, when we got there, uh, uh, we pulled in, and there's already a crowd. There's a big crowd in front of the front door. And I'm thinking, I said, remember saying to Karen, wow, a lot more people come to these things than I would have guessed, you know? And I mean, duh, right? And so we pulled in, and she was driving, and I jumped out there because she had to go, like, to Red Lobster or something to find a parking spot. And uh, so I, I'm walking up to this crowd, and I realize, I know these people. <laughs> I, the, I, these are all people from the vineyard. Oh, it was this, this great cloud of witnesses, you know? Standing in front of the doors. And so I'm loving, hugging people, thanking them for coming. And I said to them, I said, now I got to go, I got to go inside and find the owner to let her know that I'm here so, you know, she can do with me whatever I'm supposed to be doing here. And, and when somebody from the crowd said, no, she's right here. And so she was kind of enveloped in this like mosh pit of vineyard. It was kind of Zacchaeus in reverse, you know, I mean, she's, oh, hi. And and I met this wonderful lady named Lisa Smith, and I went inside the McDonald's, and I met, I met her, her fantastic husband, some of her kids, grandkids, uh, sister, brother-in-law, and even her mom. And it was, you know, when you meet somebody and you just feel like you have that sort of instant connection, and it's in the Lord, it's more than just, hey, we could be good neighbors. No, it's like, hey. That's how it was with this family when I met with them just moved on in there, and it was like instant relationship, just to add McDonald's, you know? Did you get that one? Okay. And of all things, it was, it's my McDonald's. I loved it. That McDonald's, I have so many good memories in that McDonald's. There was one night, Karen and I went up there after a high school football game. She came with me to my McDonald's. And we were standing in line, and there were these five teenage boys there, and uh, Karen had a bunch of coupons. So she started sharing the kindness of Jesus with them, you know, the coupons. And so they were all about that. That's cool. And we get in this conversation, and one of, the, one of the boys said to me, I don't mean no disrespect, sir, but you, you remind me of the dude from Breaking Bad. 
Me either. I, I, I didn't know who the dude from Breaking Bad was. Uh, so I'm like, oh, okay, is that a good thing? And we continued to hang out with him for a while and, and you know, kind of do our thing with him. It was wonderful. And, and uh, I went home that week and clicked on Netflix and <laughs> watched the, some, of the first, some, of, some of the first episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> it didn't take me very long to go, okay, well, this is an interesting premise for a show, but I'm kind of thinking watching this is not going to be redemptive for me. So I didn't get all the way through the whole episode, but I failed to see the resemblance between myself and Brian. <laughs> Brian Cranston, right? But my son, Brian, who was here in the first service, he said, you know, I saw him when I was talking about this. He's kind of over on his phone. He said, you know, he said, you know, you could have gone to school with Brian Cranston. I said, what? He said, yeah, you're only, he's three years younger than you. And he graduated from Canoga Park High School, which is the high school I would have gone to had we stayed in California. I, I grew up in Canoga Park. We, we might have gone to Anadiaway Elementary School together. I don't know. Malcolm in the middle all over again. So that's my McDonald's. And so I was so happy to get that, get that call and went up there and saw all those people and came back out after going inside and meeting the family and there was, the crowd had grown. It was like a flash mob of vineyard people there. And of all things, you know, it got so much so that people like, who were just coming to the restaurant were having trouble getting in. You know, they, and I look over and I see Dick Gilmore. He's, he's in his West Side Standard Issue bibbed overalls. He's directing traffic. Guilty, right? Yeah. I thought, what in the name of Sandy Patty is he doing? It was great. It was live. It was natural. It was real. It was authentic. ROTC unit from Central Crossing came out, raised the flag. Band started playing Star Spangled Banner. I was so proud of our people because you could hear so many people singing along. Star Spangled Banner. It was, so cool. it was just such a cool, cool moment. And uh, then uh, Mr. Smith came, and he said some nice things and invited me to come and pray. And I came and prayed. And I asked you to pray for me last week for what I was supposed to even be praying for at a McDonald's grand reopening. I have no idea. And I don't know, the Holy Spirit just kind of came on me. And it was kind of like in addition to burgers and fries and cherry pies, Lord, here's, <laughs> here's what I ask. And I, I just ask, Father, that, that this restaurant will always live under the provision and blessing of God, and that it will always be a place where staff and patrons alike will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you what, there was a sense of agreement that I got with the other, with the, you guys who were there. I, was just, I just felt like we were all praying the same prayer. It was a little Holy Ghost revival right there next to, what's that purple guy's name? Grimace or whatever. Uh, I've, I've never been in a prayer of agreement with Grimace before in my life, but he was like standing right next to me. It was, it was fantastic. And, um, and so, you know, I thought a lot about it. And the, the thing that was the coolest thing was this text that I got from Roger and Lisa um, regarding coming. And he said, Pastor Tom, 
We can't thank you enough for coming to our grand reopening and sharing such a powerful prayer with all of us. Here's what she said that I'll just never forget. I was absolutely blown away by how much love I saw from your church. You all brought the love of Jesus into our restaurant, and what a blessing that was. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I, don't, I have never heard a higher compliment for our church than I was absolutely blown away by the love that was in that group. Because Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love, one for another. That's how everybody's going to know. And that's what everybody knew. It was neat. So I reflected on it, and I've... I came up with a name for the experience. <laughs> My church. I mean, that is it, right? It's like, that's what, that's what happened up there. It was McChurch. So then I started, my imagination started going, and I thought, what if? We, wow, what if? You've heard crazier things from me in 26 years. What if? What if we could find an old McDonald's, not the one who had a farm, but uh, an old McDonald's, and we could buy it, and we could repurpose it for something better, and we could call it <laughs> McVineyard. I got it all sorted out. Here's how it works. You come in, <laughs> you come in 24-7. You come in 24-7. You come into the drive-thru lane. You stop where you'd normally order. And there you hear a 60 to 90 second message from the word. All right? Then you pull around to the first window and you give your tithes and offerings. <laughs> it's all set up, right? You pull up to the next window and you get communion. Right? And then if you're a person who came desiring prayer, if you just pull your car over into one of those wait until your order's finished parking spots and roll down your window... Somebody will come over and reach in and lay hands on you. This could not be better, right? I said, if we do this, <laughs> that's scary for some of you. He's thinking about it. He's thinking. <laughs> if we do this, I just want to ask this of you, that if you choose when you come to use the outside drive through lane, please be sure to respect the true order in which you came, all right? There's no cuts, all right? I hate that. Golly. It was a great time. And uh, left me wanting more, just more, which brings us to this series, actually, that I'm calling Sequels. Starting a series today of six weeks in length calling Sequels. You all know what a sequel is, I'm sure. It's like the next installment of a continuing story, right? It's like you got the story, and that was good. And this, what, what happens next? You've read a good book, and you've been at the end of it, and you go, oh, it seems undone. I hope there's a sequel. You've watched a good movie, and you go, that was so good. I hope there's a sequel, right? Now, some sequels, I'm sure, should never have been made, right? I never really saw a weekend at Bernie's. But I can only imagine that Weekend at Bernie's 2 must not have been necessary. Would I have been right? Can I get a testimony witness on that, huh? Uh, 
rocky, maybe five through seven, and both creeds, not necessary, right? Oh, I had an argument with somebody in the first service. Oh, creed's good. The Bible's filled with sequels. The Bible's filled with sequels. With The story starts here, and it's a story, and then it's like, boom. Look what happens when God comes into a person's life. The Bible's filled with sequels. There's this guy called Moses who leads a million or more people out of Egyptian slavery, parts waters, they get through, they escape the Egyptians, and you go, what happens next, right? There's this obscure shepherd boy named David. He's out in the field watching sheep while the prophet's in the house. What about that guy? What about that shepherd boy who faces this Goliath, becomes the champion of the Israelite army because he took this, he took this giant down? Don't you just want to say, and? Yeah? You know about this Esther? This woman who was sort of, kind of became embroiled in this genocidal plot against the Israelites, but she put herself out there at great risk to herself and saved them. Oh, sorry. I told you how it ends. What about this Peter in the New Testament? This guy who seems to have trouble with a consistent walk with Jesus. Up one day, down the next. And yet, Peter, or the Lord looks at him and says, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's like, what happens next? So the Bible's filled with sequels. It's like you have this story, then enter the Lord, and then you have this story, right? Beloved, isn't that your life? You have your life, and then enter the Lord, and then you have the next chapter. And even in walking with the Lord, don't you kind of get to a place and you go, it's time for the page to turn, and God... I want more, right? The Bible's filled with sequels. Today I'd like to just spend a few minutes introducing the series by checking in on a a passage in the Bible, Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. And to set the scene up, the verses that we're going to read are part of a larger, larger uh, passage that's called a parable. Now, I always like to start here. If you're new here, I always like to start at the bottom. I'll start at the beginning. So if you're, if you're new to the Lord or new to the Bible, and you say, well, what's a parable? Well, a parable is a, a story that Jesus would often tell, some, or some one or another story that would illustrate some eternal spiritual truth. And uh, he used it to teach his disciples. And on occasion, he would use it out loud just so the crowd would kind of go, what do you say? What? What is this about? What? And... Uh, the characters and the actions of the characters in the parable, they really represent uh, the spiritual truths that Jesus means to get across. And the parable that I want us to look for a few minutes at this morning is, is one that's probably maybe the favorite or most popular or at least the most, one of the most familiar parables that Jesus ever used. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, a lot of us, if you've been around, have heard about that one. In some of your Bibles, it might be listed as the parable of the lost son. Prodigal is probably better because the word prodigal literally means reckless or wasteful. And so the parable of the prodigal son is this account that Jesus, the story that Jesus told to illustrate an important, a critically important spiritual truth. And the story focuses on the younger of two brothers And this brother, this younger brother, decided that 
he somehow persuaded his father to give him the wealth of his inheritance in the, in the here and now rather than wait till the father dies. That's bold, right? Hey, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have your money, basically? This is not getting off to a good start. Somehow he persuades the father to give him the money. And so in this windfall of wealth, this younger son, he goes off, he goes off and, and he wastes all the money in reckless, wasteful living. He becomes destitute, he becomes homeless, he becomes very hungry, and um, he begins to think about how he can get back into the house because his wealth was gone for forever. And if you read the passage, it, it says he's kind of sitting there in his stewing going, you know, I'd be better off as a slave in my father's house than, than what I have here. I, and, and you kind of sense between the lines, he's saying, I know I could never get my sonship back. I know I could never be a son because I took that and I squandered it and you can't get that back. Uh, he said, but I'd rather be a slave in my father's house than out here on my own the way that I am. And uh, what happens then is uh, he, he rehearses, he, he creates this speech that he's going to give to his father all about the slave and the son and stuff. And, how, and, and, and so he rehearses this. He's all on his way home and he's rehearsing, and here's what I'll say and here's what dad will say, right? How many of you have done that wrong before, right? Here's what I'll say and here's what she will say, right? And then I'll say, boy, and then, and they never know they're part of the script, do they? It's, it's frustrating. So he's walking along and he's going, I will say, oh, I'll beg your forgiveness because I have squandered everything you gave me. I'm not, not worthy to be called your son anymore. Could I be a slave? So he's got this all going on. As he rounds the bend for his father's house, he's so surprised to see his father running out toward him. Running out toward him. And he comes and he throws his arms around. The father throws his arms around this returning son. And he kisses him, it says. And it, he puts clothes and jewelry on him befitting of the son of a wealthy man. And he turns to the others and he says, let's party. Let's, let's, let's have a party. And uh, in verses 23 and 24, the Bible says, let's, the father says, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. You see, he's always a son, right? This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they began to celebrate. That seems like a really good place to end the parable, doesn't it? I mean, everybody's happy? That's not where the parable ends. The parable continues with our passage. It starts in verse 25. You ready? Say yes, or I can begin this whole thing again. Good. I knew you were here. All right. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And older son. Remember, there are two brothers. So a young son comes back, parties are going on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? And your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother's not so happy, is he? In fact, he's so unhappy about all the fuss that his younger brother's give, getting that, that he refuses to go into the party. What do we call that? We call that pouting. Any powders in the room? Don't raise your hand. We call that pouting. Fine. I'll just stay out here, keep working. You guys carry on. The older brother was caught. He was caught in a couple of traps. And one of the traps clearly was jealousy, wasn't it? I mean, come on. Who wouldn't have been jealous? You're out there working. Every day you're getting up. You're doing the work for your father. You ne- it says, I never disobeyed an order. He's the perfect son. And then this younger brother comes back after wasting everything and throws a party. Who isn't going to say, he must love him more than me? Who isn't going to say that? So you can understand that trap. But jealousy's a trap, isn't it? This is a devilish trap. The older brother was also trapped in something else, and it was a legalistic sense of justice. He, he, was, he was like, that's not right what you're doing in there. Uh, here I am working. I'm keeping all the rules. And you're celebrating his repentance over my obedience. So that's wrong. That's unfair. There should be some justice in all of this. But he kind of makes a case, doesn't he? Come on. Isn't there something inside of us to go, yeah. Kind of makes a case. He says that for all those years he's been slaving and never disobeyed his father. I mean, didn't that earn him some favor with the father? Doesn't that count for anything, father? All this time, it never even counted for as much as a young goat so that I could just have a time with my friends. And here you invite the whole town, kill the fattened calf. He says, aren't I entitled to sit out here in my furious pout? There's something inside of us that understands that. Who here has not ever been the victim of an injustice? I know. And it's not cool, is it? Who here hasn't been? Now, wait a minute. Who here, who here hasn't? And who here, come on, hasn't had words you could have used to vindicate yourself, but you held your tongue for the good of the bigger situation? Man, that's tough, isn't it? We get this. This brother his position, but herein really lies the whole point of the parable, doesn't it? Jesus is saying in the parable, he's illustrating that there are two ways to approach God. One is through humble repentance and the free, the, the receipt of the free gift of God in his grace, and the other way is by trying to approach God according to our own sense of worth by what we feel we've earned, what our obedience should have brought us. 
I don't know if you've read the rest of the gospel, followed what Jesus happened, what happened with Jesus, but as the gospel unfolds, he says there really aren't two ways to approach God. There's only one way. And so this parable says there are not two ways to approach God, either by grace or by our works, but there's a right way to approach God and a wrong way to approach God. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me in the cross. What Jesus did for us on the cross is the, Jesus said this, it's the only way. We cannot clean up our act enough to cover the guilty distance of sin between us and God. Only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ can do that for us. And praise be to God, it does it for us. We can't, the Bible teaches us that we can't work hard enough, we can't be good enough to cover this gap. But Jesus can. So here's this brother's predicament, right? Here he's stuck. It seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? It seems like, now wait a second. Shouldn't I get something for this life I'm trying to live? I mean, I've been, I mean, you might be thinking, I've been tithing, I've been praying, I've been worshiping, I've been teaching children's ministry, I've been leading a home group, I've been leading a ministry, I've been on mission trips. Don't, don't I get something for that? Maybe. If it proceeds from a humble gratitude for the grace of God extended us through the cross. See, it has to start here, and then our works come from there. The central point of the gospel is that God's favor can't be earned. There is a life of obedience to live, of course, but it comes from that central message of the gospel, not for it. So you, you, you finish up with this parable you got two brothers, and what do you want to ask? What happens next, right? I mean, does, does the older brother come in? Does he go, oh, yeah, he's right. Hey, younger brother, welcome home. Does he come in? Does younger brother go to older brother? God. Jerry, I'm so sorry. I just, you know, lost my mind. What happens next? I don't know. That's the end of the parable. I don't know. And you might be sitting there going, well, then why did you pick this for the first in a series called Sequels? You can't give me any more? Well, I asked the Lord that too. As I was praying about this, I'm going to play the ace in the hole card. As I was praying about this, I just kept hearing, you know, the way the Lord speaks to you, Tell them about the older brother. And I think the reason is because a sequel only comes when you get to that point where you want to know more, right? I want to know what happens next. And I think it's meant as the introduction to this passage, though we'll look at other passages that have both parts of the equation in the series, because I think the Lord just means to bring you to that place right now are you yearning for more? 
Are you yearning for more? This story just leaves us yearning for more, which is where every good sequel begins, right? So in your own heart and in your own life, are you yearning for more? No matter how young you are, old you are, near you are, far you are, together you are, scattered you are, are you ready for the next sequel? And I think that's really what the Lord means to bring into our lives. Because you're actually the sequel to both of these brothers. So are you ready? Yeah? Are you ready? Just feel that page. Boom. Just feel that page. Turn. Are you ready? Some of you in my generation, and there are a lot of us here, we're, we think maybe it's time for us, after all this work we've done, and, and nobody gave you anything, you worked for everything you have, I get that, but after all this work, maybe it's time to just slide her into neutral and see how far you can coast, right? I get that. I get that. Maybe there's no sequel for you because, you know, here you've had these nine chapters and there's not going to be a tenth. I'm just riding around until Jesus comes back one way or the other, right? Trouble with that. There's a guy named Abraham in the Bible who was really old. And God said, perfect. Just ready to get going. Moses was 80 when he led the people out of Israel. Oh, I can't even lead you guys across the parking lot. Come on. Are you ready for another sequel? Some of you guys are maybe on the other end. You're going, well, when I get all this worked out, I'm young. I still got a lot of things to work out. And then I'll, then I'll give myself to the Lord and we'll see what he wants to do with my life. Trouble with that is that the Bible talks about this kid named Jeremiah who was having that same argument with the Lord when he was called. He said, nah, and God said, do not say to me I am only a youth. In my translation, in my head, it says, don't tell me how old you are. You don't think I know that? I was there for every birthday. And he said, but I have appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And there are some of you young people in this room right now who are being called and appointed by God. And it's time to turn the page boom, and start a new chapter, a new sequel in your life. Some of you say, well, that's for the strong. I'm too weak. I, I, can't, I can't get up there. I can't do the stuff I see other believers doing. I'm just too weak. Well, the Bible has a problem for you. His name was Gideon. And he was a guy that the Lord came to him and said, Gideon, my mighty warrior. And Gideon said, uh, wrong number. Said, I, he, here were his words. But Lord, I am the smallest man in the smallest clan. You couldn't have made a smaller, weaker choice than me. And God says, perfect. And he started the story. Maybe you think you're too broken. You got too much sin, you got too much confusion, you got too much junk in your life. You go, 
well, when I get all this stuff sorted out, then I can start offering myself to God, saying, write the next chapter, Lord. I trust you to write the next chapter. There's a problem with that. There's a lady named Mary Magdalene, out of whom the Lord cast many demons. She was a mess. Look at all the disciples. Look at all the followers of Jesus. They were all broken. And God said, perfect. I'm going to write a story. You say, maybe I'm too inconsistent. Uh, Tom, I've been here before. I've, I've got all worked up about it. I've been here before. And then I just, boom, I just plummet. I'm too inconsistent to offer myself to God for another sequel. Let me tell you about Peter. Up, down, up, down, up, down. And he's the rock upon which Jesus has built this very church. Come on. You don't have an excuse that's going to hold up. God wants to write a sequel in your life. I just know it. How do I do that? Well, you do it by believing that. And you do it by believing what God says about you. Because God says, Mike, that you're his son and you're his warrior. God says that about you. God says that you're his son and you know how to pray and you know how to tear down strongholds and you know how to, how to get it done in the invisible realm. And the devil wants, has a different story for you, doesn't he? He wants to tell you that day's over and it's all done. and It's not. In the name of Jesus, I just cast down those principalities that speak to you and keep you from being the person that God wants you to be. And I say, rise up, O man of God. These voices that say, you're ruined, you're damaged goods, you're too far gone, you're, there's no way back from here. That's all the devil's plan. Jesus is life. <laughs> the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Are you ready to offer yourself to God for a sequel? Would you stand with me, please?